Okay, Caitlin, who are we going to cancel today? How about New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo? Uh, he's the one who's been accused of harassing a bunch of former staffers. Yeah, that fucking asshole. Let's 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 get into that. Oof. Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Burns. And I'm Oliver Ash Klein. And you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic round cancel culture. With thoughtful analysis. And verbal shitposting. So how are you doing today, Caitlin? Um, I'll be honest, I'm a little short on sleep today, so I apologize if I am, as former President Trump would say, low energy, but uh, I think we're going to power through it. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I am I am cramped up in my closet and my feet are falling asleep a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but it's fine. The cancel daddy is ready. We're ready. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. We're on our fourth episode now. This is like... Uh, you know, honestly, this has gone better than my wildest dreams so far. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling really good about it, Caitlin. Like, I knew this show was going to be something that was needed. But, like, right as we launched the show, the conversations around cancel culture went from being, like, this growing phenomenon to something that just kind of really exploded. And so I think it's, like, really the right moment for this show. Uh, yeah, I think that we've timed this really right. Like, I th- I don't think that the the discourse as it was when we were planning this at first, like, what was it back in November, was quite in this place where this is like this all encompassing culture issue. Like, we talked about this before the last election. We had no idea that like cancel culture would become the central plank of the entire Republican Party. So I think we we got a little bit lucky in their (laughs) strategic choices. And yeah, I think it's going pretty well. I'm excited. And one of the things that I think is going the best is just like all of the love that we're getting from listeners and our Discord little community. It's been really, I don't know, exciting to see how invested and excited people are about the show. I've really been kind of blown away by it. Yeah, every time somebody tweets about how much they like the show, it like fills me with so much joy. There was a really cute tweet that I saw recently from um, at clap if you like me. It said, my wife just woke up and is complaining that there aren't enough episodes of Cancel Me Daddy. Please take this as the raving endorsement that it is. Um, And I would just like everyone to know that we are working on bringing you more shows. We are hoping eventually to take this to a weekly show. But um, in order to be able to financially justify doing that, um, you know, we we do need to raise a little bit more on our Patreon. So please forgive me for flogging that once again. But you can find it at patreon.com slash cancelmedaddy. There's a lot of great perks on there, including joining our little Discord community. It's pretty fun. We talk about... God, myriads of topics now. Um, We even have like a gaming channel in there. So uh, yeah, good people. So one of the downfalls of being in every other week's show is we can't quite hit every controversy, right? There are so many. Yeah, we missed a few along the way. Um, One of our philosophical choices is we're trying to do more analysis on 
quote unquote big issues happening in cancel culture discourse, but we've missed some really <laughs> ridiculous freakouts like you know the the moral panic over whether Mr. Potato Head has you know a potato penis. He's got to be right. That has to be the funniest one so far, right? <laughs> like, is that the funniest? Yeah, I think that anyone gives a shit about Mr. Potato Head's gender and anatomy is pretty ridiculous. It's a potato. The best part is it had nothing to do with gender, actually. It was just a rebranding of the product line. So Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are both toys in the Mr. Potato Head product line, right? So if you look at the sort of product tree, it's Mr. Potato Head products with Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head underneath that heading. What they did was they changed the product heading to just Potato Head, which makes sense because Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are married and have the same last name, so they're the Potato Heads. And my understanding is the kind of the initial article announcing this mischaracterized it, and that's why the internet just lost yeah. it over this. Yeah, the Associated Press ran a piece saying Mr. Potato Head is going gender neutral. And anytime you say something is going gender neutral, people are going to freak out. But Mr. Potato Head is still named Mr. Potato Head. They like never wanted to change the name of the actual toy to just Potato Head. Like it was just Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head under the Potato Head heading, which makes sense because it like helps differentiate, right? Because if you have Mr. Potato Head the toy and Mr. Potato Head the product line, that's confusing. It's a business choice. It's not cancel culture. They can cancel Mr. Potato Head. If you have Ted, like Ted Cruz tweeting about it for a week, like, come on, man. Do you think this is pure speculation? Mm-hmm. But like, I think that if they just rebranded and there wasn't that misunderstanding, um, it wouldn't have been news. No one would have paid that much attention. And so the skeptical part of me is like, was part of this like to get press and coverage and like make the potato heads more relevant? (laughs) You know, that wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. Because if they rebranded something to something like the potato head family toys, like conservatives would have loved it, actually. They would have like trumpeted it as a cultural win. But like... (sighs) The whole thing is ridiculous. I actually don't want to spend that much time talking about it. (laughs) Get off Mr. Potato Head's tater dick. Like... Oh, you're you're destroying me, Caitlin. Um, this is what happens. My sense of humor gets dialed up when I have no sleep. So you're in for a ride today. Ooh, this is going to be a spicy one. And what about like Dr. Seuss? Okay, can we talk about that for a second? Because I'm still mad about it. Yeah, let's talk about Dr. Seuss. I think it's ridiculous. No one's being canceled. And literally, the conservative media has been on about this for weeks. Yeah, I think they're still talking about it, honestly. Um, <laughs> like, the the estate that owns the intellectual property for Dr. Seuss, like, all they did was decide to stop publishing, like, six titles because they were, like, racist, like, very obvious racist caricatures. And... The conservatives said, oh, they're canceling all of Dr. Seuss. And it's like, there's this woke campaign to do this. Nobody asked them to do this. Like, there's no organized campaign that I'm aware of to, like, get these things pulled. I think people noticed when they went back and read some of these stories. Like, I went to the zoo to their kids. 
they noticed, hey, this is kind of racist, right? Like, and attitudes change over time. And I think that's, like we said in our first episode, that is the, at the center of all of this outrage, right? Is conservatives feel their culture is slipping away. So they feel like they have no choice but to like freak out about this stuff. But then you have like Ted Cruz on Fox News reading like Cat in a Hat, but Cat in a Hat never stopped publication. Like it's, that's still being published. Like The Grinch Stole Christmas is still being published. It's like they take these things that happen and they twist them so far that they're just completely inaccurate. And it's just awful. So to me, yeah, the move by the estate is to preserve Dr. Seuss's legacy, right? Like, a lot of these books have tropes that weren't widely considered racist at the time, but now they are. And also to make sure that kids aren't exposed to these racist tropes. Yeah, but there's also like a double standard within the conservative movement where you have such outrage over like Dr. Seuss, like the situation with Dr. Seuss, which we just recapped. But then you see them doing the exact things that they complain about from the other side when it comes to like books about transgender kids, right? Mm. Like I was just reading this morning about this school in the Austin, Texas area where the teacher read this book, Call Me Max, which um, Jezebel described as an anodyne book about a transgender boy, which I thought was a funny way to say it. You know, it's a completely, you know, innocent book. It just talks about this child's experience as a transgender boy. This teacher read it to her class and the principal at the school, like completely overreacted and actually called in like crisis counselors to come talk to the kids after being read this book. Like, just completely over-the-top reaction to this. Like, you call in crisis counselors on this school shooting. How is a book about a transgender boy rise to the level of a school shooting? It doesn't, right? And the message that it sends to trans kids in that school district is, you know, adults think that you're scary. You're as scary as a school shooter. And, like, I mean, that that to me is more cancel culture than anything Dr. Seuss did. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, you know, one thing that I find pretty alarming is that, like, just the the reaction to this is like, oh, kids can't know about the existence of trans kids. And, like, there are so many messages that are just, like, forcing gender onto young people. And so just the idea of telling kids that some people aren't their gender assigned at birth, that that's so scary, That just demonstrates, like, who is actually imposing gender ideology on young children. Mm -hmm. It's so, like, in some ways, like, kind of violently transphobic. Yeah. uh, And and it just, it makes me really mad. Yeah, it's, this is, like, the end goal of one of the current strands of anti-trans activism right now. There's... A small group of parents that have gotten a lot of exposure from journalists um, and writers who believe that if your child starts saying that they're gender dysphoric, they can be sort of corrected back towards their birth gender. If you remove like access to, um, you know, online spaces that might be trans friendly or any resources about trans people. Um, it's, it's the same playbook they ran in the 80s and 90s. For gay kids. Um, for gay kids and also trans kids back then. Let's not forget yeah. that trans kids have always been 
subject to conversion therapy. And in fact, gender happens to be the most common like determinant over whether psychologists would try to, to perform conversion therapy. It wasn't necessarily sexuality um, per se. It was more gender performance and roles. And like this discourse has gotten really popular recently in certain quarters, and it's led to things like, you know, the American Library Association reported last year that six out of the top 10 most challenged library books in the country were stories about transgender people or transgender kids. There's actually a silencing effect happening here that literally nobody talks about because there's such a like a Twitter perception that that trans people are the real silencers are the real fascists trying to stamp out any opposing ideology. Because we have so much power. Yeah, like, <laughs> but, like this, but this is like the thing, right? Like they flipped the script on us. And in actuality, when you look at the cold, hard facts and you don't just think with your emotions or you don't just see you know, a friend of yours that you didn't realize was transphobic getting berated by trans people. Like, if you actually look back and look at the larger trends, it's not trans people doing the silencing, okay? It's like, we're getting silenced. And one of the most common ways that it's done is through suppressing stories about us. Because Mm -hmm. whoever controls the pen controls the narrative, right? And, you know, I think there's a real lessons to be learned between the contrast between all of the media coverage about Dr. Seuss and none of the media coverage about these books about trans kids. It's like, there's an imbalance here. Why aren't more people paying attention to it? And I'm going to keep screaming about it until somebody pays attention to it because it's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I think when you're talking about the imbalance of the, uh, you know, the coverage of Dr. Seuss and the coverage of um, suppressing these other books. Um, when we look at the lack of trans people in uh, journalistic institutions and media institutions and how the very few who are there have very little power, you know, I think that that plays a massive role in why we're seeing the Dr. Seuss thing covered so much in such a like bad faith way in the media and like hardly any coverage of the way that these trans stories are being suppressed. That ended up going deeper than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) We had some, we had some feelings to share. I think it is, uh, it's probably time to delve into Cuomo. Yeah. I think people want to hear the cancel daddy's take on Cuomo. Okay. Let's get to it. I, I know we don't usually seriously talk about canceling people but the cancel daddy thinks cuomo needs to go well let's have a discussion about it yeah i think that you know part of the reason that we decided to do the segment for this week is because cuomo is crying cancel culture now you know after many accusations of sexual harassment, some that, you know, I would argue elevate to sexual assault, and then also just other inappropriate misogynistic behavior directed towards women. And instead of, you know, apologizing and owning up to his actions, he said, people know the difference between playing politics, bowing to cancel culture, and the truth. Mm. Let the review proceed. I'm not going to resign. I was not elected by the politicians. I was elected by the people. Yeah. I mean, the minute he says cancel culture, it's like throwing up the bat signal for us. 
I don't know. I, I, I don't like that he went there with this. It's like some of these allegations are really serious. Like I wrote a little explainer a couple weekends ago for Vox about the situation. And like one of his accusers is 25 year old Charlotte Bennett. And uh, she alleged that the governor like repeatedly peppered her with questions about her personal and sex life, asking her if she'd ever be with like an older man uh, like him and telling her that he is open to relationships with women as young as 22. This is an aide that works for him. She was on the, the governor's COVID-19 team. And, you know, when when they were alone together, he would ask her these really like humiliating questions. I think she told him that at one point that she was planning on getting a tattoo and he suggested that she put it on her rear end so it wouldn't show if she wore skirts or dresses, which I think is really inappropriate for a boss to say to like any employee, um, but especially a much younger woman. The thing that made me step back and go, ew, is Charlotte told the New York Times that she told the governor that she had played soccer against the governor's daughter when they were kids. Mm-hmm. Cuomo's literally old enough to be her father. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a situation in which anybody would argue that any of this is professional. Like, somebody like that makes my skin crawl, honestly. Yeah, and there are, you know, are a bunch of other allegations that we'll, we'll get to those in a moment. But, you know, I was reading about Charlotte Bennett uh, this weekend and some of the details of that. And... It was really um, disturbing and visceral to me because I used to to work with someone who did that, who would ask those kinds of personal questions. And it was also accompanied by like questions about my career and offers of helping or connecting me to opportunities, which until I was reading Charlotte Bennett's account, I didn't recognize as grooming. Mm. And, you know, Having been in a work situation with someone who, like, literally very, very similar in a lot of ways in that, like, he asked how old I was and, like, you know, whether I dated older men and things like that, like, sending me messages, like, late at night. And, like, having been in these situations, I know that a lot of times it's really widespread. And when it's happening, because of these men kind of know how to walk up to the line, but not quite cross it, you like gaslight yourself into thinking like, oh, is this really that bad? Oh, is it just me? Is this just one time he's like saying this thing that's like kind of inappropriate? And like the answer is no. Like the people who engage in this kind of behavior um, know what they're doing. (laughs) And it's like really nefarious and manipulative and Sorry, someone like that shouldn't be governor, full stop. Yeah, and it's, I get really frustrated with the discourse over this because, like, there there are no men who are coming forward with similar stories about this, right? It, it's only a thing that he does to the women's staffers. He's not asking the men in the office if they sleep with older men. Like, that to me is how you know that there's something else going on and it's not just, like, some guy awkwardly fumbling it's just an extra burden that these women have to bear and we actually skipped over completely one of the accusers but there's another one Lindsay boylan who wrote an essay on medium describing like months of unwanted and inappropriate attention from cuomo over the course of two years that culminated in unsolicited kiss in the governor's new york city office 
you know, three years ago, like each of these women have had to leave their jobs to get away from him. They were in jobs that they liked doing work that they enjoyed and they felt so unsafe that they had to leave the job. Okay. And I think that's something that's never discussed in these cases for some reason. It's always, oh, well, there needs to be an investigation, but the damage has already been done regardless of how the investigation turns out. Like these people had to derail their careers because they felt they needed to get away from this person. Like that, that to me is where the, the conversation should always start. And it somehow never does. To me, that's the biggest issue. And I think that like, you know, regardless of the, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, what was going on in his head? And one of Cuomo's things is like, he's like, oh, well, like, I, this is just what I thought was appropriate and how I was raised and blah, 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 which I think is bullshit. Um, but I think regardless of that, it's destroyed people's careers and, and like impact is more important than intent. And you have harmed people. And again, he absolutely knew what he was doing. But like, I think that when we center the people who are engaging in this really shitty behavior and what it means for them in their careers and don't talk about, you know, the wake of people who have been traumatized if they're still in their careers or who have completely left because they didn't feel safe. You know, I, th I think we're having the wrong conversation. Yeah. So some of the other accusations include there was um, Annalise, who was a former aide of Cuomo's, and he asked if she had a boyfriend, kissed her hand, you know, greeted her with things like, hey, sweetheart, uh, and at a reception gave her a kiss on both cheeks. That's the one with the photo of him holding her like visibly uncomfortable face in his hand, right? No, that's Anna Roosh, who was a guest at a wedding, but I do not. Oh, a different one. Oh, okay. Yeah, she... there's just so many. You can't keep them straight. Starting to see a pattern here. Oh, really? A pattern? <laughs> um, you know, we also have accusations coming from Karen Hitton, who worked for Cuomo when he was um, working for President Clinton. So these allegations go way back. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a member of uh, Cuomo's staff who has alleged that he reached under her blouse. So, mm. yeah, these these are not these are not poor judgment asking a couple off color questions. Yeah. This is a pattern of behavior that's completely unacceptable. So what's happened since then is that several prominent political figures in New York and within the Democratic Party have called on him to resign I think this is what prompted the cancel culture comment from Cuomo, because he's essentially coming out and saying, I'm not going to resign. I'm going to let the investigation take its course. But I kind of feel like he's saying it's cancel culture to call on him to resign, which I think that's an abuse of the term cancel culture, because people have called on, on public figures to resign for time memoriam, are we now going to just label every call for resignation as cancel culture? That would seriously harm political norms in this country, no? Yeah, public officials um, are responsible and accountable to the public. And if people can't call on them to resign, that's stifling free speech, yeah. that's stifling um, political dissent, which is horrifying. I, you know, I think it's a huge deflection when there are these Me Too allegations, right? And basically, instead of acknowledging those allegations for what they are and their seriousness, he's just waving his hands up and being like, oh, cancel culture, I'm being canceled. Like, no, you are being accused of being a predator. That's not cancel culture. 
people have every right to call on him to resign just as he has every right to say, fuck you, I'm not resigning. Like, this is something I think that we've touched on before. Like, regardless of how you and I feel about the situation and whether we think that he should resign, and I think we're in agreement that he probably should, like, that's his decision at the end of the day. So he has every right to say no, right? Like, but he also has to deal with the consequences of, of making that decision. And I actually want to get into this a little bit because... He's tried repeatedly to meddle in the investigation process as well. I don't know if you caught the stuff. I did not. Oh, my. Tell me Uh, about this, Caitlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when Charlotte Bennett came forward in the New York Times with her allegations, Cuomo agreed to, quote, independent investigation into all of it, even though he denied the allegations. So typically what happens in New York when the governor is accused of something like this, the matter gets referred to the New York Attorney General's office and the Attorney General makes the call on who to hire to lead the investigation. But in this case, he did not refer the matter to the AG and he just appointed an investigator. He tried to appoint an investigator himself. So he appointed former Manhattan federal judge and Clinton appointee Barbara Jones. Barbara Jones seems perfectly qualified to lead an investigation like this, But when you start digging a little bit, Mm -hmm. it turns out that when she left her judge seat, uh, she started working for a law firm called Zuckerman Spader. And one of Cuomo's former advisors, Steve Cohen, also worked for this law firm. So there's actually like a connection to the Cuomo political machine here with Barbara Jones. First of all, that's bullshit. Like, you can't hire an investigator with that obvious ties to your people. Yeah, that's a conflict of interest. Right. But secondly, that puts Barbara Jones in a really awkward spot. Like, after that story broke about that connection, like, nothing she ruled in that case was going to be looked at like it was independent. And that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So he tried to manipulate this in his favor. And then I think he tried to hire a different investigator when this came forward. And the AG came out and was like, look... All the governors before you in similar matters referred them to my office. I think he did eventually refer them to the AG's office. But the guy has tried to meddle in this the whole way. It does not speak volumes to um, how he feels about his own innocence here. Yeah, that's that's big yikes. I think that that, you know, just shows more abuse of power and why he is not fit to be governor. Honestly, Cuomo is definitely not going to do this. And, you know, almost no people with power being called out in this way do this. Um, But I would really love to see people own up to their actions and step down in a way that is like centering those that they've harmed and like genuinely apologizing for both big things like this, but also smaller things. That's something that I never see. And I just think that like that's the kind of leadership that we do need is people recognizing that they are flawed and imperfect and when they mess up, apologizing and when they do some things that are really harmful, stepping down and making space for someone else. Like, that's what leadership is. I'm not seeing leadership from Cuomo right now. It's it's just frustrating because, uh, like, he should step down in a perfect world, but, like, he's also going to claim he has a right to an investigation, which I suppose, like, do we have to give him that? Like, should we let the investigation play out? But 
Also, it, this seems like a he said, she said in a lot of ways, although staff got involved with some of these things. And I think if, if those things are true, I mean, that's pretty good corroboration for for the accusers and he should just go. Yeah. You know, I think that unfortunately, when the way that power is structured and the way that these investigations go, right, there's often, quote unquote, not enough evidence, right? Because there's not like a recording of the conversation, right. right? And I think that the unfortunate reality of that is like a lot of a lot of these investigations will say we didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you didn't find enough to like convict someone of inappropriate right. behavior. Because these are th- these things are so hard to quote unquote prove, but we're seeing a pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, like six women have come out against Mm -hmm. Cuomo um, with allegations. And I think that it shouldn't take six women speaking up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we should believe people when they speak up about this stuff. But when you have a very clear documented pattern of behavior, maybe it's too optimistic to hope that the investigation will find something more conclusive. But considering the pattern of behavior, I'm I'm hopeful, you know, if this investigation continues to move forward and Cuomo doesn't resign, that it will support those that are accusing him of inappropriate behavior. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, this was this was a bleak one. Yeah, it's heavy. I would I would like to live in a world where these are not the people who have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Me too. Oh, I'm so excited to have some out of context cancellations and just just cancel some things for people. Yeah, that last segment was uh, pretty heavy. So let's see if we can maybe lighten the mood. But um, this little uh, mini segment uh, is inspired by our uh, delightful Discord community. Um, and they give us suggestions every week for out-of-context cancellations uh, that we read on air. So we have a request to cancel customers who refuse to wear masks. I think that's a good one. The cancel daddy will do that. I will cancel all the customers who refuse to wear a mask. Put on your mask. Help stop the spread of COVID. Come on. Come on. Um, I think my favorite out-of-context cancellation this week is um, canceling Trader Joe's because their croissants only come in packs of three. What is that all about? Oh, my gosh. I relate to this one so hard. So Trader Joe's has these incredible, like, pretzel croissants that are delicious, and I used to make breakfast sandwiches out of them. sounds amazing. I know, but they only came with three croissants, and I'm like, come on, I need croissants for a week. (laughs) Just, just, Just give me more croissants in a package. It's not that hard. Next we have season. Wait, why does this say season anal? <laughs> Are you looking at our notes right now? <laughs> oh, um, uh, maybe I shouldn't be trusted um, to take notes. So it says season anal depression, which honestly relatable. <laughs> okay, clearly I meant seasonal depression, but my partner does tell me that all of my feelings are stored in my butt. Oh. So for me, it is seasonal depression, okay? Literal seasonal, seasonal <laughs> depression. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're getting rid of both season anal and seasonal depression. It's gone. I'm canceling it. It's it's fucking up my life right now, and I just want it gone. Um, this next one's a big one. We are canceling the dysphoria. Oh please, God! 
yes relatable would would love that to just be gone just like done with it done with it and last but certainly not least we are canceling for-profit prisons and really all prisons yeah this one's a little bit more serious but like prisons are bad and we should abolish them we unfortunately do not have the power to cancel that but if we did we absolutely would Um, and if you can take part in our bi-weekly out-of-context cancellations by joining our Discord, which uh, you can access actually by becoming a $5 patron on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash cancelmedaddy. Yeah, and we also have lots of other um, rewards. You can get episodes early. You can join a monthly video call with us. We had our first one recently, and it was delightful. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was really nice, and I'm really looking forward to having more and meeting more of our listeners. Yeah, and all of this, you know, joining our Patreon does support us in our path to becoming a weekly show, which we so appreciate. And so you can join and learn about our perks at www.patreon.com slash cancelmedaddy. Also, before we go, I just wanted to give a quick plug. Uh, We do have merch set up on Teespring, which is you can find on a link on our Twitter page. It's a work in progress. Okay, so please just be patient with us. But there are some products there that you can get. I ordered a bunch of stickers. I think there's packages downstairs with like a sweatshirt there for me. But working on that. I saw someone um, posted a picture of their Cancel Me Daddy mug, uh, which brought me great joy. It was super cute, and I can't wait to get mine. I sent one to my cousin in New York City, who is a faithful listener of the show, one of our biggest fans. And she said that she is using the coffee mug during her morning Zoom meetings. So she's doing her part to promote our show. We made it. Oliver, we made it. We did it. Three hours of sleep, but we've smashed this one, I think. I got brain fog up the wazoo. I think we fucking killed it. Today's show was made by me, Oliver Ash Klein, and Caitlin Burns. Daniel Peterschmidt made our theme song, and Eden M.W. designed our graphics. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work. Especially the first person in our Canceler Hall of Fame, with the great power to cancel all of their enemies, Meg. We appreciate your support, Meg. Happy canceling! Do, 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 do. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye.